We are continuing our series, The Blessing, tonight. Uh, each week of Lent, we're taking uh, just a piece of that blessing, and we're keying in on it, and we're seeing what it tells us about God and what it tells us about us. And so if you were here last week, or if you went to church last week, we started with that first phrase, the Lord bless you. And we talked about what it means to be blessed. And we talked about the differentiations between our understanding of God's blessing and, and some other theologies like prosperity gospel that, that sort of treat God like a vending machine. Uh, this week, we're moving on and we're, we're looking at just that next set of four words. So it's the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you. Now, honestly, of all of the statements of the priestly blessing that we are going to cover during this series, I think this is the one that could most easily be glossed over. Because to be honest, we read that and we don't really know what it's getting at. Like, what does it mean for God to keep us? Well, we're going to see exactly what that means in our scripture for today. We're going to be in Genesis tonight, uh, looking at the story of Jacob. You remember Jacob. Jacob was uh, from one of the most famous families in the Bible. His dad, Isaac, is the son of Abraham. Well, Isaac marries a woman named Rebekah, and they have twins. They have Esau, and then they have Jacob. And Genesis tells us that one day when those two boys were a little bit older, Esau came home. He had been out hunting, and he was starving. And so he goes to his brother Jacob, and, and Jacob has just made this big stew, and he says, uh, give me some of that. I'm hungry. And Jacob says, that's fine, sure. I'll give you some, but you're going to have to trade me your inheritance for it. It's a gnarly deal, honestly. But he says, I'll, I'll give you some of this food if you give me your birthright. See, even though they were twins, Esau was born first, which meant that he got the lion's share of the inheritance when his father died. Uh, in their culture, that meant that Esau would receive two-thirds of everything that Isaac owned, and Jacob would receive whatever is left, the, the last third. Well, Esau's really hungry. He's not thinking super straight. Also, just not a great businessman, Esau. But uh, don't let Esau be your financial advisor. Uh, but he agrees, and he says, fine, whatever, just give me some food, I'm hungry. And so he gives Jacob his birthright. Uh, and so that means that now Jacob is the one entitled to the two-thirds. But the story goes on, and, and Esau is off on another hunt. And for Esau, nothing good happens when he goes hunting. He's off on another hunt, and, and while he is, Jacob dresses up as Esau, and he goes to his father Isaac, who is virtually blind at this point. He's, he's, uh, he's on his deathbed, and Jacob tricks him into giving him his blessing. Now, the family blessing, that, that's what determined who would lead the family when Isaac died. That determined who would become the patriarch, who would make the decisions. And so Jacob kind of pastes some hair to himself because Esau was known to be this big, red-headed, hairy guy. And Jacob goes in, and he tricks his father, and Isaac gives Jacob Esau's blessing. So now, Jacob has not only Esau's inheritance, he also has Esau's blessing. He will now be the leader of this family. Well, Esau gets back, and understandably, he's very upset. <laughs> In fact, he's so upset that he says he's going to kill his brother. And so Jacob runs. He leaves their home in Beersheba, and he heads to Haran. And you can see 
here on that map, that's about 400 miles. Well, on this journey from Beersheba to Haran, he stops at a place that would later be named Bethel. And he falls asleep. And then Jacob has this this famous dream. You've probably heard it referenced before. He dreams of a ladder to heaven. And then in that dream, God speaks to him. And that's our scripture for today. Jacob is running. He's betrayed his family. He has stabbed his brother in the back, not just once, but twice. He's got to run from home. He falls asleep. And this is what God says. This is Genesis chapter 28, verses 13 through 16. It says, And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and your offspring. Know that I am with you. And I will keep you. Wherever you go, I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I've promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. Okay, so in order for us to really understand what it means for the Lord to keep us, I want us to to key in on two things that we see in Jacob's story. And the first thing I want you to see is the assumption that Jacob makes. Now, look, before we go too far there, we all make assumptions, right? Sometimes we all jump to a conclusion. We do this in our daily lives, and we also do this in our understanding of God. But here's the problem. Sometimes those assumptions put us in dangerous positions. Sometimes they put us in a place where we can be hurt. Uh, I made this mistake when I was in eighth grade. I was a pretty small kid growing up, uh, and so I decided in eighth grade that I was going to get into boxing and wrestling and jujitsu because honestly, I had a school bully, and he was like 6'3". He went on to play D1 football, so he was a lot larger than I am even now. Uh, And so I decided I was going to get into some of this stuff, and I joined this gym, and I enrolled in these classes. And I really enjoyed it. Within just a couple of months, I was starting to feel myself. I was feeling pretty confident in my abilities. I was looking in the mirror and seeing Jackie Chan, you know? (laughs) That's kind of an outdated reference, I feel like. But I thought I knew some moves. I thought that that I could defend myself if I ever needed to. Well, one day I I went into the gym and my instructor told me that we were going to be sparring that day. Now, typically... When we would spar, uh, we would spar with somebody around our same age, around our same size, and around our same skill level. Uh, And so usually, I found myself wrestling other 8th or ninth grade guys who were in my same weight class. But that day, my coach set me up with this small, freckled, red-headed girl. She was maybe a year or two older than me, but I had several pounds on her and also several inches of height. And so I looked at him like, are you crazy? I do not want to fight this girl who I have 20 pounds on. I don't want to hurt her. But he just nodded at me, indicating that I shouldn't worry about it. And so we started sparring, and I told her very early on, hey, don't worry. 
I'm going to take it easy on you. I'm going to hold back. Don't stress. And I remember she said something along the lines of, thank you, but that won't be necessary. And she was right. <laughs> that is not me, but it's close. Uh, she was right. This, this girl absolutely destroyed me. She was way stronger than she looked. And more than that, she was just really, really technically good. Uh, she knew all these holds and grips, and I could not keep up with her. She had 10 different ways that she could have tapped me out. There was nothing I could do. She was just straight up better than me. Well, I was embarrassed about making this assumption and telling her that I'd go easy on her. And I think my instructor could tell uh, because he came over to me after class and he informed me that this girl was the daughter of the guy who owned the gym. And she had been doing uh, martial arts and jujitsu and boxing, all of it for her entire life. But I tell you that embarrassing story, uh, which I'm now slightly regretting. Uh, but I tell you that story for one simple reason. A lot of times we make assumptions. And those assumptions can actually be dangerous. They can have consequences. They can read a, lead us to the, to the wrong conclusion. And that's exactly what had happened to Jacob. Getting back to him, getting back to our scripture, he makes an even more dangerous assumption than I did. He assumes when he leaves home that God has left him. He looks at his situation and he thinks, I've messed up. I've betrayed my brother and my father, and now I'm too broken. Surely God has abandoned me. And look, that is an even scarier reality than getting tapped out by a small redhead. <laughs> Jacob thinks that he has been cut off by his family and therefore his God. That's why he's so shocked when he realizes that God is still with him. The very end of our scripture, he says, the Lord is in this place, and I didn't even know it. I had no idea. I would have never thought that God was still here. Jacob sees his situation and he makes an assumption. He thinks that God has thrown him away. And honestly, I think that's an assumption that a lot of people make. We think that God isn't there when we're struggling with sin. That God sees our messiness and he runs the other way. We think maybe we're too far gone. And so it's easiest for God to just get rid of us, discard us. I cannot tell y'all how many times over the course of my ministry, someone has shared that sentiment with me. They've, and I'm sure Joy, I'm sure all of our pastors would attest to this. We hear it all the time. People say, you, you don't know what I've done though. You don't know where I've been. You don't know the mistakes I've made. You don't know how far I've really run. There is no way that God wants anything to do with me. There's no way God's calling me into ministry. There's no way God wants me involved in that thing. But that just isn't true. That assumption is wrong. Jacob's assumption is wrong. Because God doesn't throw us away when we mess up. God doesn't get rid of us. That's what the priestly blessing tells us. The Lord keeps us. The word for keep 
in the priestly blessing, but also the word for keep in our scripture for tonight is the exact same. It's the Hebrew word shamar. And that word is best translated as keep, but it does mean a little bit more than that. It means to retain something or to protect something. It means to watch over something, not just from a distance, but to watch over something with love, to really care about something, to tend to something. It's often used when talking about shepherds and their flocks. They keep their flocks. They care about their flocks. They're not just looking at them from a distance. See, when Jacob laid down to rest that day, he didn't think God was going to retain him or protect him or watch over him with care. He thinks, I don't deserve it. He thinks, I've been thrown away. But you know what? That's not who our God is. God doesn't get rid of us. God doesn't dispose of us when we mess up. Even when we make a fool out of ourselves in front of the gym owner's daughter, God still keeps us. No matter how much we truly run from home, in Jacob's case, it was over 400 miles. Still, God watches over us. He keeps us. See, the good news of our text is that Jacob's assumption is not bigger than, cannot change Jacob's truth. In verse 15, God shares a truth with Jacob that he desperately needed to hear in this moment in his life. This is, this is the turning point. This is the hinge moment of Jacob's story. And this is what God says to him. Know that I am with you and I will keep you. Wherever you go, I'll bring you back to this land for I'm not gonna leave you until I have done what I've promised. God says, I'm not letting go of you. I'm even going to bring you back home one day. You're not going anywhere. I'm keeping you. And that truth is so huge for Jacob. It rocks him to his core. In fact, he's so moved by this dream and by God's promise to keep him that he decides to do something right after he wakes up. If you just keep reading in chapter 28, this is what happens. It says, Jacob rose early in the morning and he took the stone that he had put under his head and he set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called that place Bethel. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me, if God will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house and all that you give me, I will surely give one-tenth to you. In this moment, Jacob makes a vow to dedicate his life to God. He says, Lord, whatever you give me, the first tenth goes to you. My inheritance, my blessing, my skills, my abilities, everything goes to God. And he does that. Jacob goes on to be renamed Israel, and he ends up going home a little bit later, and he reconciles with his brother. And if you don't know the rest of Jacob's story, he goes on to have 12 sons. And those 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. And so much that happens later on in Scripture, later on in Scripture, might not have happened without Jacob. 
He's an incredibly important person in the story of the Bible, in our story. He is this this crucial person, but he begins as a young man who's betrayed his family, run from home, and thinks, assumes that God's left him. And that's something I really want us to hear tonight. That's something we all need to remember. No matter how much we feel like pieces of trash sometimes, no matter how much we think we deserve to be thrown away or discarded, God says to us exactly what he said to Jacob. Know that I'm with you and I'm going to keep you. This is one of the things that we have to keep in mind during this season that we're in, this Lenten season. Because it's a time when we contemplate our sinfulness. Over the course of six weeks, we do that. We self-examine. That's not always an easy thing to do. We, we look at our lives. We, we see where we need improvement. We see where we've fallen short. And that's an important spiritual practice. But as we do the work and as we evaluate sin, we've got to be sure that we don't make the same assumption that Jacob did. That we're too broken. That we're too far gone to be in relationship with God. Because you know what? Our God loves broken things. He loves taking something that looks like it should be thrown away. And not only does he keep it, he redeems it. He makes it into something beautiful. I want to show you uh, a powerful example of what this looks like. We're going to watch the, the trailer for a documentary that came out in 2015. You may have seen this before. You may have seen it on the news. Uh, the, the documentary is called Landfill Harmonic, which I love because that's just good wordplay, y'all. Uh, but Landfill Harmonic, it tells the story of a community that uh, was built on a landfill outside of Asuncion, Paraguay, and, and how one man named Fabio Chavez took what had been thrown away and he made something beautiful. So let's watch. Mi nombre es Víctor, toco el cello. Mi nombre es Ada Maribel Ríos Bogado y toco el violín. kids in Paraguay actually made all of the instruments out of trash. Look at this. That's a fork, people.
gift of music shine through tonight on that stage. Y'all know I saw that and I was like, that's gonna be in a sermon. <laughs> Preachers can't help ourselves. Uh, but it's a great story. Fabio Chavez, the guy you saw leading uh, that band, he established the Recycled Orchestra, a children's orchestra where all of the musicians are from that impoverished community uh, on the landfill outside of Asuncion. In a, it's a little area called Katura, which basically means trash place. And all of the instruments that they use are made out of garbage from that landfill that they live on. Uh, I love that quote of Fabio. The world sends us garbage, and we send back music. See, I think that's what the kingdom of God looks like. It is a recycled orchestra. God takes things that could be thrown away, things that have been thrown away, and he keeps them. And not only does he keep them, not, not only does he keep us, he transforms us into something capable of producing beauty. That's the story of the landfill harmonic. And it's also the story of Jacob. He was a broken man whose life was defined by cheating and swindling and manipulating his own family. And yet that's not where God leaves him. In fact, that's the place where God leans into his life even more. God takes this man who assumes he's been thrown away and tossed aside and he promises him that he's going to keep him and protect him and watch over him. And you know what? That promise, that story, it's ours too. That's why this phrase, the Lord keep you, which we could so easily gloss over and overlook, is actually one of the most powerful statements in the entire priestly blessing. Because it reminds us that our assumptions are never greater than God's truth. It reminds us that we will never be discarded by our God. Instead, he's going to invite us to join the recycled orchestra. And so if you're like me, if you have made some bad assumptions in your life, or if you're like Jacob, and you're thinking that you're too far gone for God to want to bless you, just know that Jacob's truth is all of our truth. No matter how damaged we are, God keeps us. Honestly, God is a hoarder. He, he, he doesn't waste anything. He doesn't throw away anything. He takes us with all of our baggage and all of our junk and all of our brokenness and he restores us and he redeems us and he transforms us. He makes us into instruments Instruments of peace and instruments of love and, and joy and kindness and ministry. That was his promise thousands of years ago to Jacob. And it's his promise for you right now. No matter where you are, no matter what you've done, the Lord keeps you. Hallelujah. Amen. Will you pray with me? God, we, we confess that we have made a lot of assumptions. Lord, sometimes we think that you are a God that, 
that wants to shame us and punish us, that you're a God that just lords over us, waiting for us to slip up. But Lord, remind us tonight that that is not who you are. That's never been who you are. You are a God of grace and mercy and redemption. God, we thank you for that. And as we walk through this Lenten season and as we consider the parts of our lives that we need to work on, as we invite your conviction into our lives so that we might be better disciples, God, let us never forget that you keep us, that you don't throw us away, that you don't waste anything. God, we thank you that you are the divine hoarder. We thank you that, that you make a recycled orchestra made up of a bunch of people from a bunch of places who've been through a lot of ups and downs. And yet still you use us to do something beautiful. God, we, we don't wanna take that for granted and we don't wanna take that lightly. So Lord, I, I just pray that whatever it is we need tonight, as we sing this final song, whatever it is we need to hear, whether it's that you are a good God, a gracious God, a God that is more than able, God, open our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears to hear what you have for us. Help us to set aside our assumptions and to hear your truth. We pray all of this in the name of our rock, our redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss new releases. We'll have new podcasts coming out all the time. Be sure to check us out online at whiteschapelumc.com. Please download the WC Life app and follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things WC.